The Stages podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands on which our artists and audiences meet. We pay our respect to past, present and emerging elders. We acknowledge the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years and feel privileged to work alongside artists continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives... Then the next block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. (laughs) Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until... I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. (laughs) Thank you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. Ego in check, me. (laughs) Yeah, it's a date. (laughs) It's a date. As a teen, I religiously tuned into a weekly program broadcast nationally on ABC Radio. This program was the go-to source for everyone to learn the latest theatre news. This treasure trove program was called The Showman and was hosted by a celebrated announcer called John West. Demonstrating an enormous appreciation for the theatre and the arts, West was able to combine his profession and passion through The Showman. Correspondents such as Terry Hughes and Stan Pretty would enthusiastically provide details and description of what was the latest from Broadway and West End theatres. Via the platform of radio and through informed and passionate announcers, the show ignited imagination and informed intensely to those listening from afar. Two of Stage's favourite arts workers have recently returned from pilgrimages to New York and London and delved into the latest in musicals and plays on the Broadway and West End stages. They join Stages in this episode to provide first-hand insight and some degrees of envy in their descriptions of what we could expect if finding ourselves in these theatre meccas over coming months. Ian Phipps is one of Australia's leading publicists, promoting theatre and its stars around Australia. If you know that a show is happening, no doubt it's because Ian has communicated this to you with a myriad of masterful means. Simon Paris is a theatre reviewer based in Melbourne. His review blog, Man in Chair, regularly reviews musicals, plays, opera and the arts. We kick off this episode with a cross to our Broadway correspondent, Simon Paris. I imagine the journey to to Broadway in New York is a, a bit of a perhaps annual pilgrimage for you. For many years, it was annual, and it's just been broken off by COVID. So I hadn't hadn't been since mid twenty nineteen, and so to go back again after three years was really extra exciting to restart that annual pilgrimage again. Uh, and from my calculations, I, I gather that you saw something like 19 shows in 10 days. Yeah, so it was 12 nights. So I saw 19 shows and I timed the beginning and the end to make the most of the time being there. I was really lucky that there were two 
Thursdays, which both have Thursday matinees, which are very rare. London has matinees, but Broadway doesn't tend to have Thursdays. So fitting those in added to the, boosted the numbers and made sure I was optimising the time over there. Well, Simon Paris, man in chair, it's an absolute delight for stages to have you as our, our Broadway correspondent. <laughs> well, I'm thrilled to be here. I've listened and enjoyed the podcast so many times, so I'm thrilled to be, to be seeing you directly and talking to you. Um, Simon, man in chair, I gather that is taken from the musical Drowsy Chaperone. Yeah, if you, if you might think that the character there who who loves musicals and becomes immersed in the world of musicals and is happy to talk about them at length, whether people want to hear all the details or not. That's how people characterise me sometimes, and it was just a natural fit to be the the real life man in chair. Well, well, you're the the ideal man to be talking to then. Um, how long have you been reviewing, Simon? Um, well, I I was used to do it for a website when I started around two thousand and six. And then I, I started doing that for a while. And then I started putting the reviews on Man and Share just as a saving them as a place to sort of keep them there as a record. But then I found so many people were reading and going to the site by itself. I did overlap for about 18 months. And then I got up the courage to contact each of the publicists and the arts organizations and ask if they'd keep inviting me if I left the other website and just had my own. One, and they all said yes, which is very, very exciting time. And then I was just having my independent site there, a man in chair to keep the reviews going. So that was around 2012. So it's been going nonstop since then. And that's where avid lovers of the theatre can uh, access your reviews. Is it maninchair.com? Yes, simonparismaninchair.com. And there's their music, music theatre, but also some uh, play reviews and opera and ballet. Now, I see that you're wearing your Museum of Broadway T-shirt. You're obviously one of the first people to have had a look inside. What's it like? It's really interactive. It's bigger than you think, perfectly positioned, 45th Street, right near all the, the theatres, and really exciting and fun sort of exhibits like in dance from West Side Story, watching the video and, and, and looking at lots of costumes and set designs. And they have a fantastic gift shop. So I, I love the gift shop because they had all their own merchandising and then they had carried all the, the merchandising for all the other shows. So those sort of shops are dying out a little bit, but that's like a fresh shop now with all the Broadway merchandise in one place, the, theatre books, uh, cast recordings, uh, hardcover coffee table books, uh, all programs all in one place. So that's a really great asset there as well. Uh, we're of a similar age, I, I suspect. And do you remember, I remember one of the first times going to New York, I had to look up the Triton Gallery, which oh. which had all of the show cards. In fact, I mm. before I went to New York for the first time, I used to order the occasional show card yeah. from the Triton Gallery. Yeah, I think I got one for rent back before I before I went there the first time. So they're they're going stronger than ever, and they you know it was, it was Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS time when I was there. So they sell the show cards with autographs on them from the the stars. So the one with Leah Le Michelle and her cast was three hundred and fifty dollars, and the one with Hugh Jackman from Music Man you could buy for five hundred dollars on the night when you're at the show. So show cards are very popular. Still going on posters. <laughs> Merchandise is alive and well in the theatre, in the commercial theatre. <laughs> the only thing that stopped there a little bit is, is one of the funniest things I've ever found out going to Broadway is they do not bring up the, the souvenir programs, anything like we do. Like we have them on opening night, they're, they're ready and they're, they're selling them like hotcakes. Broadway will take weeks or months. For, like none of the shows I went to on this trip had a souvenir program, not a single one. 
they just they just don't have them ready and they have i think there's hundreds of people have to check them off and approve things and they're they just it's it's so interesting when you take it for granted in australia how quickly they produce them then they just don't do that there even though it's a ready source of merchandise of money um, they give the playbill of the free playbill, obviously, but souvenir programs as a merchandise is is a rare item there. Have you ever known the the playbill? Um, uh, it's not a magazine; it's sort of a short, small booklet, isn't it? To to take off in Australia, have they ever tried it? That's a good question. I, not to any extent that I've seen. Obviously, opera and ballet will do what they call a cast sheet, and when Opera Australia stock programs, they got quite a decent. A little um, stapled program and the ballet has done that a little bit but yeah for musical theatre I've never seen anything like that here but it's and, and in London doesn't do it either and they're, they're on a huge scale but they don't do it but Broadway it's just that tradition Broadway off Broadway everywhere has the same playbill the same articles the same things there that they give away and they're great souvenirs you know when you bring them back and talk, look at look at them and see what you've seen and who you've seen in the shows. Well let's get into um having a, a a review of of the shows that you saw i know that the the listeners are champing at the bit to uh to hear what's hot in new york at the moment and uh anyone that's going there soon i'm sure will uh, be keen to hear what you've got to say um uh and juliet now this is a show that we're getting in melbourne uh next year next march i believe uh it seems to be the the flavor of the moment yeah, even though I'm hoping to be invited to review it, I actually booked some tickets today to go to go another time early on. I really enjoy that so much. It's a bit like Mamma Mia, and it's got that real feel-good sort of sense. It's a jukebox musical, but it doesn't. It's not the story about the artist like some of those jukebox musicals are. It's a, got its own story, very imaginary, based on Romeo and Juliet. And they say, well, what if what if Romeo died but Juliet didn't, and what would she go on to do? Very current, very like the politically correct sort of feelings about um, uh, gender and identity and, and sexuality and all those sort of things. It's really really very modern in that sense, but spectacular staging. And there's this. Even though I'm a bit older, I think, than what you meant to be to know the songs. I knew plenty of the songs, but if you're the right age, people will just know every song and they will just love hearing those songs all sung so well and so so thrillingly. Um, all the music of um, songwriter Max Martin, who I must admit I've never heard of. I must be, I'm with you. I'd never heard of him. They don't usually have notes in their playbook, but they had a page with over 100 of his uh, songs there and at 25 number ones maybe more than 25 number ones more than anyone in this century has ever written and he was a producer and then he had the, the uh, book writer is David West Reed of Schitt's Creek fame so there's that real sense of humor and uh and witty sort of uh reaction to things that you get from Schitt's Creek and that very modern sentiment of uh like I said femininity and and, and gender and and sexuality all with a very really modern touch even the costumes have a very postmodern sort of look to them deconstructed of uh, the sort of Shakespeare period but all with a modern edge and David West Reed and, and how he's written those Max Martin songs into the show and the, the audience has that reaction of recognition when they hear the songs begin and they hear the lyrics and they know which song it is like the sort of thing happens in Moulin Rouge where people react to the beginning of a song and knowing which one it is it, there's about 40 songs in the show and they're, they're just I knew a lot of them, but people who are younger will, will really, really love hearing all those songs. And I was delighted to see that um, uh, Tony winner, Paul O'Sott, and, and uh, opera singer, is mm. also in, in uh, Anne Juliet. 
that that was really a lot of like well, lux luxury casting and he's looking um very handsome and, and fit fit there in that role he he's a parent of one of the of the younger age characters in it but has a very amusingly oversized cod piece in his costume but uh, <laughs> and has a romance he, he he knew Juliet's nurse back in the day so his character has a, a romance with Juliet's nurse so I, I think people audience here will, will just absolutely love it especially you think about how Moulin Rouge was so popular in Melbourne and, and now in Sydney that's that sort of vibe that people are just going to really love rather than respond to it yeah opening at the Regent Theatre in Melbourne uh in February next year now uh, another new show which is uh, just taken to the boards is Kimberly Akimbo which uh, sounds like a musical version of uh, the curious case of Benjamin Button yeah, there's a lot. There's, there's. Uh, I could definitely see that comparison. It was a play first, uh, by uh, but the, the playwright has adapted his own play with with um, with uh, Janine Tesorio, and it's really unusual. To, I call it a chamber musical. It's probably comparable to say Fun Home, where it's a small cast and a, a bit of a, a serious. A topic, but there's a beautiful lead role there from Victoria Clark, who people will know her from The Light in the Piazza, where she won the Tony Award for The Light in the Piazza. Victoria Clark, who's about in her 60s, plays a, a girl who's 15 turning 16 years old, but has a, a, a disorder which has caused her to age. So she's looking like her early 70s, even though she's only 15 or 16. So she's dressed like a teenager and she's a boyfriend and she's got her friends at school, but there's this. 60 something woman playing the role. So it's very touching. The parents are real deadbeats who really haven't been able to cope with having the daughter and are really are struggling and suffering. And then, she, but there's drama, but on the other hand, she has a this aunt who is hilarious, who's a bit of a fraudster and a schemer and gets the kids into her schemes and is really very funny. So that that adds a lot of humor to the story. So it's it's moving, but it's also funny, and it's a very sweet sort of chamber musical. Really different to the sort of big big budget sort of big casts of shows, but really touching, very involving, very moving. And you're predicting the uh, the 2023 Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical uh, for Clark. Yes, I can't see how how she could not win. It's just such a beautiful role to be. You can see her, but inside her, she just had the physical body language and the presence that she's a teenager and she's awkward and she's sensitive and she's caring about people and she 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 uh, reacts to how her parents talk and how her aunts talk and how her friends friends talk like a teenager does. There's one really really moving scene where she's with the friends in a circle and they're they're talking about the future and what happens beyond high school and how this is just the beginning. You get to have the rest of your life and you see her sitting there and she knows she's only about about a year a year or more to live. And it's all in her face and, and how she responds and how she reacts. It's such a beautiful performance. So it's that's really people are gonna really love that. Well, the creators of that show, David Lindsay Abair and Janine Tesori, um, oh. also wrote Shrek. So that sounds like a very different <laughs> uh, project for them. Janine Tesori is amazing, the, the, the range of shows that she's written of, of uh, Violet and Thoroughly Modern Millie. And, and Caroline yeah, on Change. Caroline on Change, yeah. They, yeah. She goes from dramatic to, to fun. It's it's an incredible contrast of a range of, range of styles, yeah. Another new musical is a, a jukebox musical, um, the Neil Diamond musical, A Beautiful Noise. I felt so sentimental going to this because my mum loved uh, Neil Diamond. My mum has passed away, but she used to go to his concerts with her friend every with her friends every time he was out here. So going to watch it, I felt like I was honouring my mum and her memory. I really like Will Swen Will Will Swenson, the lead actor, husband of Audra McDonald, who's playing Neil Diamond. 
it had every reason for me to be there to love it. The, the music is great, but that was really a dud and it was really disappointing. They had this device where they have the present day Neil Diamond age, sort of 70, and he's in therapy. And then he'll go into these memories and they'll they'll go into these great numbers and singing and dancing with Will Swenson playing Neil Diamond. And then it will go back to the therapy and you, it just rains all the energy out and you just sort of sit there going, oh, come on. Um, so that balance and that storytelling just to me didn't work. And it really was very sort of low budget. They were just going by the name of the Neil Diamond and people would like it and like the songs and people from New Jersey and everyone coming into New York to watch it. It's it's When it's such a great catalogue, it's so disappointing that the show doesn't match up to the quality of the songs like that. So really disappointing. Yeah. Great to see the older Neil Diamond being played by Mark Jacobi, who uh, had a big hit in that Harold Prince production revival of Showboat as, as Gaylord oh, Revenant. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's a nice oh, bit of trivia. Yeah, no, I didn't know. So uh, that's, that is that is great casting. Yeah, he's got a great presence, but it's just the way it's written. It's so dull when it goes back to those scenes. So disappointing, oh, that, yeah. That's disappointing, yeah, yeah, because it is a mm. great catalogue of, uh, yeah. of music. Uh, mm. Another great catalogue of of um, a, a singer songwriter is MJ the musical. Um, now I was flabbergasted when I heard that this was going to take to the stage, but apparently it's a white hot hit. Oh, I, that was one of the few ones I had to book well in advance for when I was going because you you cannot get a ticket to that. It's never on TKTS. It's never available when you're there. It's so popular. Um, I, I also, I, in general, I, I'm not a huge fan of sort of linear um, jigsaw musicals, but I really love the, the director choreographer Christopher Wilden, who came from Royal Ballet, and I absolutely adored. You, you would have seen an American in Paris, so that that director choreographer Christopher Wilden, who did American in Paris, for him to be the one who did MJ, he's got that the dance style of of of, of the guy playing MJ and all the, the music clips and everything, but it's in this fluid story where they're, they're in the rehearsal room and from the props and from the people there, it'll turn into the young Jackson 5, it'll turn into the family, the manager, things just flow in and out. It, the staging of it was just amazing and I was absolutely transfixed with that. It's very loud. It's very like breastplate is something with something with the music but really really thr thrilling to see those numbers perform so well and uh really cl clever uh staging it's a clever idea they do where they're rehearsing the show in 1992 i think i'm saying that right and that um so the uh, future the controversies the dog michael jackson later in his life at that point haven't come in so by start having 1992 and flashing back from there they just keep that part of and michael jackson's life and don't go any further so that's how they can keep focused on the human when he was young or when he was in jackson five and when he was successful with thriller and and, and bad and those sort of times that that's they keep it focused on there um and there's a device of the a rep, a reporter and a cameraman from mtv who are following rehearsal and they're interviewing him and then the stories just organically flow out of that yeah, set in a rehearsal room in 1992 for the Dangerous yeah. World Tour. Yeah, the um, end they do number thriller using the set of the Dangerous World Tour, and it's a really fantastic finale. Uh, and you said that uh, people who were disappointed with Thriller Live <laughs> would be would be pleased with this one. Thriller, thriller Live was such a basic, like they just did song after song. I had no connection, and it was um, completely dreary. And this is just uh, so, like, like so, so, so exciting, so electric, so, so cleverly done, and the the, the way it, the story is cr cr created, and then then 
quickly turned back into the rehearsal room again, like like magic. Christopher Wilden is such a great artist, and I just lo love seeing all that on stage and how how he brought those fantastic numbers to life. That was really thrilling. Yeah, it'll make you totally forget Thriller Live. Yeah, the uh, yeah. So he he won the Tony for, for choreography there. I just remember the name of the lead actor because he won the um, Tony Award for Best Actor, the guy playing MJ. And that was a really terrific performance to see him. His, his voice and his dancing were, were really, really incredible. Miles Frost. Uh, Miles Frost, there you go, that's it. Yeah, Miles that's Frost, true. fantastic performance. So yeah. I, 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 I really hope we, we would have it in Australia. It's, it's a big, very big production and it's a great cast of dancers and everything, but I don't see why we, we, we couldn't. Uh, we, we've got to help all these people Purge Thriller Live out of their minds <laughs> so from, from other, other staging. So let's, let's bring him to the musical. It'll be fantastic. And as, as, as well as Wielden as the director, Lynn Nottage, uh, celebrated oh, yeah. playwright, is responsible yeah. for, uh, for tying the show together. Yeah, so that's really great credentials there to really really have a, uh, the, 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 the important parts of Michael's life. And the way they bring up lots of the things, lots of the funny things we all know about, the reporter will bring up things like, did you, you know, about you, did you get a nose job? Have you bleached your skin? Do you have the bones of the elephant man? All those things would get popped into the conversation because the reporter was asking him about them, whereas a linear sort of telling of the story would seem a bit silly to have all those sort of things in it. But uh, it's very, it's almost like witty how they bring all the little bits and pieces and people laugh about they know those things were always said about Michael Jackson and they know that they could see why the reporter's asking him about them. But yeah, the, the music and the way the songs are done is, is really thrilling. Now, I'm green with envy because you got to see a new musical which uh, is a, uh, a, 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 um, well, it's my favourite film, and mm. I'm delighted, thrilled to hear that that the musicalised. It was musicalised, of course, in 1972 as Sugar, and I love that mm. show. But mm. to hear some of the score of Some Like It Hot now, mm. uh, it must have been a very exciting experience. It really was. I have a special tradition I do, which is I, I will always have one show every trip that I'll go to a second time, and that one had the honour this time. So I went on my first night, Some Like It Hot, and then... The second last night, I went back to Some Like It Hot. I was even lucky enough to speak with Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, who were there watching the, the, the composers. And they, you know, everyone knows they wrote Hairspray and um, Catch Me If You Can. So they were there uh, watching the show in previews. And it's it's really one of those shows where it's getting that great buzz and people are really loving it. It's, it's fantastically produced. It's got incredible tap dancing, gorgeous art deco design and fantastic costumes. The, the thing, if you, if you know Sugar and you know the movie, in line with the way all things are done these days, it's very um, up to date. It's very modern in terms of politically correctness and in terms of diversity. And so, and, we, and for this one, it makes that so much sense because prohibition, that jazz sort of feel, having uh, people of colour and, and white people together, uh, um, the, the two guys, one's an African-American, one's a uh, Caucasian guy, and the, the girl is Sugar. Is a, is a young woman of colour and this is Fleet Sue, who's a, a black woman. So they, they've got a mix, mix, um, mixed casting like that for diversity, which works perfectly. It's part of the story that they encounter um, racism when they're taking their, their tour around. And, and the other thing where they really updated it so cleverly is instead of the two guys just putting on dresses to be silly, um, the, the one, Joe, who becomes Josephine, played by... Um, he was married. He was with Sutton Foster. He was from Legally Blonde. Uh, Christian Ball. Christian Ball. <laughs> I was going to say he had it. He had it. You remembered his ex-wife. <laughs> I did. He, um, Christian Ball uh, does the Joey Bill's Josephine. He's the funnier one. He's very funny. The Tony Curtis role. 
Yes, but the other guy, Jay Harrison Gee, um, in his role, when he becomes uh, Daphne, he becomes very transformed by wearing a dress. And where Joe has already been a bit of a womanizer, he has this 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 uh, rebirth of discovering that he loves the wig and how people treat him and how he is with the girls and how he enjoys it. And then he comes to embrace that. And when they use the storyline from the movie of the, the millionaire, he they end up as being a couple because he's um he's the, the guy is really embraces the idea of that part of his life of of enjoying wearing a dress so that that's a really sort of modern and then it's not it's not so much of a mockery then that it's it's something that really meant a lot to him and that's really to me a very clever and up-to-date sort of take on that and it really makes it sort of respectful and here's a song in act two which is just fantastic and you could have knocked me over with a feather i think it's called that that um that performance and his tap dancing and everything is fantastic so it's a really it's like this one of these things like a hairspray or or the producers the first time where it's just really funny really sharp dancing really like great songs so like all the elements of the hit which is really exciting well nobody's perfect <laughs> that famous uh-huh. last line but it sounds like <laughs> this is a, a perfect perfect musical simon do you know yeah. when um, we can expect the cast recording for some like it hot um no i i know like the the one recently, you know, the funny girl with Leah, Leah Michelle came out while I was there. That seemed to come out very quickly So, from when they recorded it. So I would feel very confident that they'd be doing it really very quickly. So I, I, I'd almost, it, it officially opens on December the 11th. So it could be around then because they often like to tie that in with the with the opening night. So hopefully. Um, <laughs> funny girl. What about that? I mean, again, I'm green with Envy. First time back on Broadway. Uh, with Leah Michelle now replacing um, Beanie. Beanie Feldstein, yeah, yeah. I, as as that sort of little saga unfolded, when I knew I was going to Broadway, and I was watching that unfold, and I just, I'd, I'd really enjoyed Leah Michelle on Glee, and I'd liked the fact her character wanted to play Fanny Bryce, and so I was watching that saga with my fingers crossed, just thinking, I really hope this comes off, and then Leah Michelle does play. Funny, and then she did, and I went again. That was one I booked for. You can't get that anywhere. That's a really popular ticket, and it, it was wonderful watching her. I always was going to hopefully enjoy her, but she did so well at playing funny as a girlish character, and then as a young woman, as a, a mature woman, her voice was just absolutely beautiful. She looked right at the audience. She took the audience into her palm. It was a really lovely performance, and for someone who's who's been the public eye, who's 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 battled uh, how people perceive her. It's a, just a beautiful performance and it's really going to help her career and how people look at her when she's just doing that role so beautifully. So it's really thrilling to see her do that so well, yeah. It's not the greatest production, but her performance as Fanny Bryce is really great. She makes it her own. So so you're able to forget totally. um, and while you're watching it. Yeah, she's got a lot of different pacing and different expression, and yeah, you, and the orchestra is really great for that show. Nice big orchestra, so you just become immersed in, in that and what Leah Michelle's doing, and it's hard to think of any, anyone else. Yeah, um, you talk about that London production. I actually left at interval. I did not enjoy it at all. Oh, was that? See, I went to the original one at Chocolate Factory, which was quirky uh, and was, small. Yeah, it yeah. was a nice little. I saw yeah. it at the Savoy and it, it, oh, okay. it seemed, yeah. Mm, I think that would be out of place by that. I don't, they often don't change them much when they do that. So in, in the Chocolate Factory intimate surroundings, it was really cute. So, yeah, I think they went a bit, they had ended up having two casts of that show and it was touring everywhere. They tried to cash in on it a bit too much. So, yeah, it's still not the greatest production, though, as you can imagine. So, but, but those performances and the dancing are really great, yeah. 
And it's also got Tova Fulcher as uh, Mrs. Bryce, which yes, I think is, she, a, is oh, a win. Yeah, she's charming, and she kick, does high kicks, and she, she's really lovely, lovely with her manner and how she is with 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 uh, Leo. It's, fun, it's funny, very very endearing how they work together. And and Ramin Karimlu, great leading man, who who just happens to come on with his robe open at one point, as though as though men of that era would be at the gym like he is. <laughs> very <laughs> authentic to the time, but he looks looks great. So that that part of the casting is fun. Um, a um, it's really is a great season that that you've just experienced, um, and of course a show that is near and dear to to many hearts because we've probably done it at school or in a community production or, or we've seen the film many many times. Mm -hmm. I can see you going tick tick tick. <laughs> well, what what what's your experience? I played Harold Hill in nineteen ninety. Um, a while uh, ago, but but what's your experience with Music Man? Yeah, I, I played Marcellus in 1997, and I've directed the um, full-length show, and I've directed the the junior version. So lots of, and I've seen both both the movies. So I was very immersed in the, in the Music Man, and to see that live on a massive production, a huge cast, the Winter Garden stage is so big so that that was just fantastic to see like i wrote in my review there hugh jackman looks to me a little bit modern he's got a slick hair and different suits he's not wearing any plaid suits or and he, he looks very slick and very modern but uh he he worked so hard in the dancing it's a huge role and the, his warmth with the, with the audience with, and all the characters was was really very winning and it's it's just beautiful to see the show done on such a big scale like that that his star name helps them to do a, a big show like that so brilliant of him to do that um, and your review says that Scott Whitman and Mark Shaman actually were brought in to change some of Meredith Wilson's lyrics. Mm. Why? Yes, well, like, there's a bit of a theme there if, if you're picking up from what I'm saying, like 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 um, and and Juliet, um, and some of the plays I saw. It's very much at the moment. You, you and some like it hot as well. You've got to have things that are very modern sensibilities. You've got to have things that are politically correct. You've got, you've got to be representing different people. So, um, one of the, the song I sang as Marcellus is called Shapoopy. And I think that is such a Patterson song that I, I think there would be hundreds of thousands of people who've heard that song and have never, ever listened to the lyrics or, or spent another, not, not even a minute thinking about it. But if you say the word slowly, it's a, a woman who'll kiss on the very first date is usually a hussy. And a woman who'll kiss on the second time out is anything but fussy. So to be used a horrible term, it's like slut shaming. So they, instead of having that sort of slut shaming lyrics, they they completely rewrote it and made it about a, a shy boy, so they completely rewrote Shapoopy. But I, I felt like it was a bit of overkill because I think people just listen to those lyrics and they, no one's really thinking about it really and and dwelling on it and, and stressing about those lyrics. I mean, I might, I might be, be showing my privilege by saying that because I'm a, I'm a male. But I, I, as far as songs go, that was a funny choice to want to rewrite it. There's also a couple of bits. I um, mean, in um trouble. When they refer to ragtime music, because that's related to people of colour, they can't then say shameful because that that's the wrong connotation. So they some little words there they had to change to just um, soften the way they were referring to ragtime music. Shameful music that'll grab your son, your daughter, mm. in the arms oh, of the jungle, animal do, instinct, yeah, see, mass they, they, they don't they yeah. don't say that anymore because they don't want yeah. to be saying that about ragtime. No, so yeah, shame and Whitman were brought in for that.
Um, that wonderful TV series, Apple TV series, Schmigadoon, uh, lampooned so many of those uh, golden age musicals so mm. well, didn't it? Yeah, the audience, the audience, the audience is primed for for the Music Man because they they watched Schmigadoon and they've seen uh, the, the the teacher and the little the little boy and all the the elements of it. It, it was perfect, and and Kristen Chenoweth did that song that was kind of like Trouble, and it really was a good good match for that. And helmed by veteran director Jerry Zaks. I mean, it must have been yeah. a thrill to see a, a Zaks musical. Or oh, no doubt yeah. you've probably seen a few over your Yeah, time. and I and I knew that um Hello Dolly was always loved that lovely. Um a lot of people with similar production team to that. So and I knew how, how great that was. So yeah, they just really know how to do that old, those old school shows so beautifully. Yeah. But you missed out on Sutton Fust Sutton Foster. Yeah, that she was having a week off, if you please. And uh the the cover was very good. I I can't be greedy because I've seen Sutton Foster, I think I worked at in four different shows. So I I'm looking at a poster she signed right now, probably Modern Millie back in the day. So on my wall. So I can't be greedy, but it was disappointing. But uh the, everyone else was so great and uh, still had was a really wonderful experience watching it, yeah. Uh, a, a cast recording that I have played many times, which I adore, is A Man of No Importance. And I was oh. delighted to see that it's had a revival from the classic stage company. Yeah. So, the, again, with the power of stars, because if um, th- 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 that sort of thing is going to be on, if they have a great a great lead actor, Jim Parsons from 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 um, from TV, from, from Big Bang Theory, then someone like him is happy to be the lead. Well, that there is your production, and then from there the rest of it comes together. So, uh, you know, he would be worth a, a huge amount of money from all his TV work, and to be in a small off Broadway show, that's him giving back to the theatre, loving theatre himself, wanting to be there, wanting to be in it, and to play that sort of very sensitive role about a closeted gay man in Ireland. Uh, it's a beautiful performance from him, and it brings him being there is what brings the, the rest of it together. Uh, it had been edited a little bit. It was down to one act and a bit a bit of streamlined sort of production, but also Mary Beth Pale, who people might know from Dawson's Creek, was in it as well, and um, Mayor Winningham, who used to be a, a film actress, um, so lovely cast and lovely sort of John Doyle, who who loves people, the, the actors holding instruments and using props to represent things. So really innovative sort of creative production in that lovely space of classic stage company. That that's that's the sort of thing when people go to New York, you've got to look at Playboy. You've got to search out and find things that are on a little bit further afield beyond all the ones with big advertising in your face. And when you're about to go on the train down to see them, it's really worth looking out for those sort of ones when, when you go over there. St. Anne's Warehouse over in uh, Brooklyn is also worth a look, isn't it? Checking out if you're in New York. Yeah, bam. Yeah, seeing what's on there. Yeah. Um, a, a Man of No Importance also is a, a beautiful film with um, Albert Finney and, and Rufus Sewell, which is uh, worth hunting out, listeners, if uh, you're looking mm. for a good film. Mm. Uh, Into the Woods. Did you, uh, you probably <laughs> grew up with the, the video recording and played it ad nauseum. Um, mm. It's a beautiful production with uh, that original production with Bernadette Peters and Chip Zion and Joanna Gleason, who won the Tony. Uh, and it's back on stage. Yeah, I also was first introduced to it by that one night concert in Melbourne that had a, gr- a great starry cast in it. Um, so I, I've loved the show a long time. And, uh, you know, it was another one where I was had my fingers crossed because it was on it. City Centre Encores, which is like Melbourne readers, viewers will know about the production company. So the production company in Melbourne was based on City Centre Encores, who do three shows a year. So theirs is still going. And they did they did uh, Into the Woods early this year in May. And then it, tran- it was such a hit transfer to Broadway. And it's just kept going with little tweaks to the cast. It seems like everyone wants to be in it, is happy to be in it. Even the, the really, really, the biggest famous 
revival they ever did was Chicago. The, the, the version of Chicago we all know came from City Centre Encores and went to Broadway and it's been Gypsy and some other ones, but Into the Woods this time has come from City Centre Encores. So it has the orchestra on stage. It doesn't have sets to speak of, but it has lovely costumes and some some scenic elements. But it's the, the cast that it has attracted is an incredible group to have, see them all together in one show. And there's there's new cast recording of that as well. But um, really, it's really exciting. It's really exciting to think that, um, that the audience reacts to it like they would react to a big musical comedy. So when you know when you and I think of sometime, they're artistic musicals, they're the cult favourites, they're ones that people cherish and they're usually boutique sort of ones. This is presented like a big popular, big, big crowd-pleasing musical. And one of my happiest bits to me was when Jack came forward to sing Giants in the Sky and people clapped like they were like they were at a concert and they recognised the song. They were excited to hear Giants in the Sky just because they were just so involved in the show and, and loving it so much that they that they they're, they're, that it's known so well. So it's really a great tribute to Sondheim at this time that people can go to that and enjoy Salam's work and remember him and, and have such a great big popular hit like that. Uh, having uh, Origins as a concert at, at City Centre Encores, is it a minimalist staging? Uh, does it, it feel is, like a there, concert performance? Um, it does. One of the most disappointing things was um, they there is a couple of they, like, little floating houses over the three houses and there's there's some poles that represent the trees. But the disappointing thing was the, the witch has a mask. You can see it's attached to her face and she's got gloves, purple gloves with black fingernails. And you sort of think, oh, well, she's going to pull those gloves off, she can pull that mask off. But but when it comes to the transformation, she fully she went off stage and they kept going and then she came back beautiful. I'm like, that's disappointing. You want to see a magical transformation on the stage. You don't want her to go off and just cheat and just have a dresser help her. So I thought I was going to see a big transformation there, but they, they, it's just done very simply. So that's a bit of a, a nod to the origin of the simple content staging that they just did a very basic transformation there. But there's beautifully vivid coloured costumes and those, those trees, it doesn't make a nice picture to look at the stage, but they didn't necessarily make focus on the, the artists and the, the work and not have too, much, too many scenic elements it's not disappointing i wouldn't say in, in that regard i think they're the musicals you saw a good number of plays as well and uh again very jealous tom stoppard's leopoldstadt at the the long acre now this is a play that has a cast of something like 42 actors yeah and it's, it's really disappointed me in recent times how we just don't seem to be getting these plays in australia there's a few a little backlog of ones like the ferryman that was a fantastic play and it had a, by jez butterworth it had a big cast and what i mentioned before matthew lopez the inheritance a two-part play with a big cast and now this from leopold starter we're, we're not gonna maybe it's this sydney theater company might have a go at doing that but it's it's disappointing that we don't see the things on that scale in australia and it's um, for that particular play, it's, it's it, Tom Stoppard remembering his heritage there as a, a Jewish man. It's set over, uh, I think, 70 years with these families in Vienna and they're, they're thriving. And then they have this horrendous time of, of the Anschluss, Anschluss, and then what happens to them beyond there. It's, it's all done in one act, two hours, 10 minutes, and it's inc incredibly moving. The audience is just devastated by, by, by what transpired and how it affects the people and how involved with the characters as you are it's it's lavish sort of staging costumes and characterization but uh it's really devastating story and very dramatic take me out um hopefully lifted you a little more the but the baseball play um <laughs> yeah 
I'd forgotten how what a powerful story that was. I saw it at Melbourne Theatre Company. It's it's popular here because it had already been on and won the Tony Award for Best Revival, and it has Jesse Williams from Grey's Anatomy and Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family who won the Tony. So that that's the starry cast of us two guys from television. But if you remember, the, did you see the play Peter when it was on? Recently? Indeed, yes, yeah, so? yes. Yeah, and and the you know it's about a, a sport player coming out, and when you think now we've got Josh Cavallo, we've only got it's it's very light for sport players coming out still. So the storyline about him coming out, and then the, the what he faces from his teammates and from the public, and the it is a very sort of uh, a racist, homophobic sort of guy in 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 the team. It's it's very dramatic. I'd forgotten the elements of the story, and it's and of course there's then the famous shower scene where they're all, um, you know, on the shower on stage, which was very incredible. They had a new technology where you had to put your phone in a little pouch, and they seal the top of it, so you hold your own phone, but it's in a pouch, and at the end they wave a little wand over it and it opens and you give the pouch back and you take your phone so no one can have their phone out during the show because of that sort of that no nudity on stage so yeah, Gee, yes on. that would certainly be a consideration uh nowadays as an actor if you are going to put yourself in a vulnerable position like that uh in the uh purpose of telling a story uh you don't want those cameras coming out from the audience and appearing on social yeah. media yeah it's an improvement I, I, last time i was there 2019 i saw Frankie and Johnny with Audrey McDonald. And I didn't think they got it right then. They tried to say, keep your phone away, but that caused stress stress for her being naked on stage. Whereas this time they say there's technology, if someone takes a second phone in and they say there's technology can pick up the phones, but they're very strict and they're watching very strictly, which, and most people of course are doing the right thing and being there in the right spirit, but it's, they're really making sure they can do it freely and do the play they want to do. and. And, and do it artistically without worrying about those sort of things. So, yeah. Well, I, th- I think hire Paddy Lapone as an usher. <laughs> she, won't, she won't want your phone out. Oh, gosh. No, 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 no. Death of a Salesman. Now, this sounds like an exciting new take on a, a classic play. Yeah, they come from London and they, they've done it there. The, uh, the, the two lead actors, it's done with, with um, African-American lead, lead, leading players. And they had a note in the playbill saying the time when it's set, there were coming to be around New York people with money and of um, African American people, and they would want to see people in the stores and in services of the same color as them. And it would be believable that someone like Willie Loman could be an African American. So they sort of put it in context. But then, and there's the two sons, obviously, but then there's some white actors still like he goes to see his boss to what Willie Loman wants to wants to work in the city instead of being on the road. So it, with with the same script, it became a very charged racist scene where the way the, the white boss treats him in the office, we want him to pick up his lighter and and, and Willie Lemon touches the man on the shoulder and the way he reacts, the whole audience gasped. Like it was it was so clever that without changing the script, just by changing the, the race of those actors, it created this whole tension and undercurrent that wasn't there. Uh, in in the regular production, so that's really great insight into directing there. That I really respect how they could make such a magnificent production, a show that's so well known, and then to have a whole fresh take on it like that is uh, is really inspiring. Well, a, a, another classic show which has had a whole fresh take on it is Fiddler on the Roof, in Yiddish, directed by um, stage veteran Joel Gray. And you, you remember it was announced it was coming at Opera Australia, before COVID. yeah, before COVID. Yeah. So now that I've seen it, it's fr- frustrating because it's just so beautiful and very simple. So it could be on here so easily. It's just made of this sort of crinkled paper set, and uh, 
the good props, but the, the, to hear the Yiddish, to hear how naturally it flows and how they speak to each other, it's really beautiful. And it's a beautiful production as well. The, the choreography is done really well. The, the costumes are all very black and white and very austere to how they would have lived there at the time. And it just seems to make you a bit more immersive into the story, a bit more connected to the characters. And for people in the audience in, from New York's Jewish pop population, you could tell they were really reacting to hearing the Yiddish, they didn't need to look at the subtitles like I did. Although I, I do know Fiddler on the Roof pretty well. I didn't have to look at during the songs, but sometimes, sometimes I just wanted to see what the comparisons were and what the different words meant. And um, it's it, like, it, it, you know, the bit where they yell at each other in the, in the first number about it was a horse, it was a mule. So they're saying it was a, a he goat or a she goat. And there were, there were different there were words for that. So there's things that have changed um, in translation over time. Even if I were a rich man was kind of, if I were a Rothschild, if I'm saying that properly, that is that surname. So that was, I mean, if I were a Rothschild. So it, it, there's some different words. It wasn't just a straight out translation of what the words we know. So, yeah, really interesting. And and finally, A Strange Loop. Now, this is the musical that won the Tony Award uh, in 2022 for Best Musical. Um, you're grimacing. Did you not enjoy and, it? Well, and the Pulitzer Prize it won as well. Um, I went along because I wanted to be a completist. And I, wanted, I wanted to be able to say I've seen all the Tony Award-winning musicals. Um, you might have noticed I'm out in chair. I didn't even make it to a review of that one. Um, it's just... Um, I mean, no, no offense to the, all the artists who were, were great in it, and, and the guy who's written it has have put their heart into it. A guy wrote it, uh, Michael, Michael R. Jackson, and there's a lead character who is an usher at the Lion King, and he's uh, a black man. He's he's very overweight. He's very big. It's part of the story that he's very big, and he's very shy, and he has these, these voices in his head. Who are these other sort of six actors? One woman and five men are African American as well. It's all in one act. It's a free, free flowing sort of show. But I just found it really a bit of too too absurd and nonsensical for my my taste, and I uh, I, I can I can see the, the 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 artistry, but I just didn't respond to it at all, and I found it incredibly loud. I found it really quite exhausting. Um, I ultimately I've it's, having won the Tony Award and Pulitzer Prize could bring it to Australia, but. For the casting and just for how people would respond to it, I just don't think it would um, make sense. Even even um, a lot of it, he, his, his parents don't like that he's gay, and, sorry, but they also, they want him to be a writer like Tyler Perry and he wants to write his own shows. And the, all the, the characters and the sort of things they're talking about, I don't think Australian audiences have any um, idea of that, of that sort of culture and that sort of characters they're talking about. So I can't see how it would work very well here. His parents all think that um, HIV and AIDS are a curse and he's, his cousin died of AIDS in the story, and there's a lot of heavy drama about about getting AIDS and how dramatic and devastating it is, and how uh, scary it is. So it's it's a funny idea for a musical, and yeah, I, I know it's uh, things should challenge you and things should make you feel uncomfortable sometimes, but that that wasn't the sort of thing for me ultimately that, that I could really enjoy is going to a show like that. So. Yeah, and, and, and perhaps it was celebrated because stylistically it was pushing boundaries and trying new yeah, things for absolutely. the musical theatre. And uh, isn't it wonderful that uh, we all have different reactions to two different shows? I mean, if we all liked or disliked the same things, uh, it would be a boring industry. Totally, totally. And I've actually got to mention one other show, speaking about reviews and things like that. I went to that one because I wanted to, but there's a new there's a new musical of... Uh, Almost famous, the the movie Almost Famous, and produced I, by I Michael Castle. Michael Castle's got money in that, hasn't he, uh, from Australia? 
um, I don't know for how long, but he'll have that money because it's a terrible flop. It's um, right. it's it's got terrible reviews, and I, I couldn't even bring myself to go to it. Is the review? It's one thing to read a bad review, but if you read a bad review that's really reasoned and really explains why it's not a good show, and you can really follow it, it's not just a pan. It's you know really well written uh, i was convinced that i was that wasn't for me to go to see that so yeah it didn't is go it, to that it, one is it still running yeah and for the moment yeah yeah i remember being in new york once and high fidelity opened and i thought oh, i'll see that next week i think it closed for about <laughs> five performances yeah that could have to be one of those yeah it's a good good name almost famous but i can't see it lasting for too long oh great Simon Paris, man in chair, what a delight it has been uh, discussing the current Broadway season uh, uh, with you. Um, when are you back there again? Uh, well, I used to always go in April because a lot of the shows open in April to, to qualify for Tony Awards. But this November was, having such a period of COVID, it was like a reopening and lots of sh more shows than usual were opening in, in November. Uh, I, I could go maybe in November again next year. I like the weather and I like being there, but eventually I think I'll get back to going in April because that's you always know that new shows are going to open then and that they'll be like, I would have loved to see the new revival of Camelot directed by Bartlett Cher and, and written by Aaron Sorkin that's opening in sort of March, April next year. So uh, there's, there's there's always new ones coming. They're, all, they're always you know on the horizon. And there's New York, New York opening next year. There's Back to the Future, the musical. There's always new ones coming. But this was a great time to be there for lots of new shows this, this November. But I'll hopefully be back to going going annually again and enjoying all, all that New York has to offer. Thank you, Simon. Uh, great to chat. Lovely. Thanks for having me, Peter. Having listened to the podcast so many times, it's such a thrill to be here. So thank you for having me. I love what you do here. I really love it. So thank you. A couple of months ago, my dear mate Ian Phipps found himself in the West End, seeing a whole lot of long-running shows which were to continue or about to close. Um, fantastic shows that had been nominated for Olivier Awards and uh, with the uh, approach of coming to Australia in 2023 and also new shows that were about to arrive in the West End. So it was a great delight to catch up with Ian and talk about all of those shows along with what we can expect on Australian stages around the nation over the next year. So here's my chat with Ian Phipps. Uh, Ian Phipps, uh, publicist extraordinaire and man of the theatre. Um, thank you for joining Stages to to talk about what's happening in the West End. You recently were there, of course, and had a fabulous time. I'm very green with envy about what you saw. Yes, I did. I had a lovely time. It was brief. It was only five days, so I only managed to fit in seven shows. When I go away, I like to have long shows and get an average of at least two shows a day. Uh, but it was really enjoyable before a, a European sojourn. <laughs> uh, that those West End theatres are, are, are great temples as well, aren't they? Um, a little bit larger than the ones in America, which are very intimate, but you can still find that that vast range of of intimate and bigger theatres uh, like the Palladium, of course, in London. True, but no matter how big the theatre, you always know that the stalls, uh, the, sorry, the, the foyer is going to be tiny and there aren't going to be enough toilets. Uh, there's always queues and queues uh, for interval and before the shows, um, very small foyers. But, yeah, they've all got great atmosphere. And it's amazing how they can fit so many in. You know, they seem to go underneath the roads. And some some you go downstairs, you know, level after level after level to get down to the stalls. Yeah. So it's a good idea to go before you go. 
Exactly, that's right. <laughs> and they're so narrow, narrow too with their rows. It's hard to get out if you're in the middle of the row. You can't get out during the show. So make sure you go before you go. Uh, of course, there's been the staples in the West End. Those long-running shows have had chalked up decades of uh, of performances. Uh, some of them uh, will be closing soon, and and a couple of them are coming to Australia. What did you see? Yeah, well, um, while I was there, Mary Poppins was on. That goes till the 8th of January. Of course, that's touring Australia at the moment. Come from away is on till the 7th of January, one of their long-running shows. I think during COVID, uh, there was a bit of a shake-up and audiences aren't quite back. So some of those long-running shows aren't doing so well. But, of course, there are the staples like The Lion King, Phantom of the Opera. Of course, it's now the new version of Phantom of the Opera in London. Bit of controversy back then when that happened because the orchestra was reduced so uh i don't think anywhere in the world now you can see the original production of phantom you could in new york but that's closing very shortly so um no more of the original productions of the phantom of course there's things like the book of mormon uh that's doing you know remarkable business matilda is on frozen is on the mousetrap of course 70 years it has just celebrated its 70th anniversary that's at martin's theater and that's touring australia of course at the moment and has been announced for broadway that's very exciting um that is going to broadway I've seen the Australian production. I never never caught it in London. Um, it is a beautiful production. It's uh, it's was theatre of of a time gone by, but executed so beautifully by um, the company uh, from Crossroads Live. Yeah, yeah, it was gorgeous. Robin Nevin directed and did a fabulous job. And she'd never seen the production or, or read it previously, and so uh, she was coming to it basically totally fresh. And uh, as a great director, she looked for all the moments that you need and passed it really well. And so, yeah, it's doing very well and it's had rave reviews in Australia. Of course, in London, there's Mamma Mia, perennial favourite, which is also coming to Australia next year. Moulin Rouge is doing remarkable business uh, in the West End and they're just opening in uh, several other places around the, around the world at the moment. Jersey Boys moved or closed in the West End. It's moved to Trafalgar Theatre, a smaller production going on at the moment. Six, which is still going around Australia, is doing huge business there. I originally saw it in London at the Little Arts Theatre, a very tiny little theatre just near Leicester Square. And, of course, it's gone on to huge worldwide acclaim and it's now in a much larger theatre. Pretty Woman's playing at the Savoy Theatre. Um, I saw it on Broadway. I'm not sure whether it'll get to Australia, but it's it's done a couple of years uh, in London and doing very well. To Kill a Mockingbird, the Aaron Sorkin version of To Kill a Mockingbird, which opened on Broadway, is doing great business in London as well with a local cast. Uh, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, of course, uh, that's coming to Australia next year and it um, has just closed in the in, in Broadway, but it's still doing roaring business in London. Uh, Magic Mike Live, of course, huge business at the uh, the Hippodrome in the in the casino there, right on Leicester Square. It's a perfect place for it. Hens Nights galore going into Magic Mike Live. Les Mis, of course, the perennial Les Mis, still doing remarkably well in London. Uh, Harry Potter. 
you can still see parts one and parts two at the Palace Theatre. It's, I think, the only place in the world that still has the two-part Harry Potter because, of course, on Broadway, Melbourne and elsewhere, they're doing a three-and-a-half-hour, one-part version of Harry Potter. Um, Witness for the Prosecution is another really interesting show in London that's doing a very extended season. Another Agatha Christie, but this one is in an old courthouse. And so the audience sits in a courthouse with the judge and with the, um, you know, the jury and so on, six, uh, sorry, 12 members of the audience have chosen to buy tickets. So they're in the jury box. Um, I didn't see it when I was there, but I'm really keen to see it as an Agatha Christie fan. And that's doing remarkable business over there at the moment. So the immersive theatre. Immersive theatre, exactly. Yeah, 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 that's great. And speaking of immersive theatre, Abba Voyage is oh, something yeah. I would have loved to have seen. It, it you know, it's uh, pushing the boundaries of, of theatre here that we're talking about. But it's an, basically an Abba concert with holograms of the four members of Abba, and you're there in a concert venue for two hours, watching a hologram and experiencing the live Abba experience. Um, so yeah, that's a really immersive, unusual experience. Um, and, and people get up and dance, I guess. Are they, are they seated watching it? Yeah, yeah. So it's just like being um, at a concert. Yeah. Being at a concert, exactly. Yes, I I didn't see it. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see it. But um, I know other people that have, and they just loved it. You know, as a child of ABBA myself from the seventies and eighties, uh, I love all the music and enjoy Mamma Mia every time it comes around. But next time I go to London, that's definitely on the list. It's, a, it's an extraordinary repertoire. Um, kids today uh, embrace ABBA as much as their their grandparents. I suppose they're, they're learning it from their grandparents, but it's immediately accessible. Yes. Yeah. Um, one of the long-running shows that I did get to see and is coming here next year, of course, was Wicked. I've got a, a real soft spot for Wicked in London because I went to the very first preview in London of Wicked, uh, I happened to be there and extended my trip so that I could see Helen Dallymore, the great Aussie actress, yep. play Glinda. And it was a rock concert that night. Uh, uh, I can always remember that Helen as Glinda comes down in the bubble at the beginning and says, good to see me, isn't it? But on this very first preview, the bubble came down halfway and got stuck. And so the curtain came down, the audience was in an uproar, screaming and carrying on. Everybody knew the music and they knew the show and they were so keen to see Wicked. Uh, but then we had about five minutes and then out came the monkeys again and they turned the turned the key and the, the curtain went up and the audience was just screaming, you know, with happiness. Down comes Glinda, good to see me, isn't it? And the show stopped for literally two or three minutes as everybody was on their feet applauding and thrilled. And then every time a new ca uh, cast member would come on stage, there'd be extended applause. After every song, there'd be extended applause. The whole show was about 20 minutes longer than it normally is. And then there were about all 2,000 people in the audience outside the stage door afterwards screaming. And I, I went up to, the, uh, to Helen's dressing room and she peered out the window and saw these 2,000 people, everyone screaming and uh, yeah, it was an amazing performance. So ever since then, I, I've loved the experience of going to see Wicked in London. 
And I've seen it a few times ever since. I saw Susie Mathers play Glenda in, in London as well. So it was great to to see Wicket again and then to know that it's coming back to Australia for uh, for another great tour in, in Sydney. That must be one of the terrific perks in your role as a publicist. You get to see these great shows many times. That's true. I've seen Wicked in several different countries and uh, it's always interesting to see uh, see how it changes because I can remember going to the original to one of the previews in Broadway and on Broadway there are still it's the same as it originally was and so there are extra cast members there are different entrances and e exits some of the cast members come from the opposite side to what they do now and so on so there, that's basically still exactly the same as what it was. And then a number of changes were made to London and that's still exactly what it was. And then the production we saw in Australia, uh, whatever it was, 15 years ago, was uh, slightly different again. And we became the model for our, all the other subsequent productions. So it's interesting to see all these different productions and just see how different it is, uh, that um, there's a bit of doubling up that's different, that like I said, different entrances and exits and different, um, a few lines are slightly different as well. We'll see it again in Sydney in August next year. This far out, is the show cast or that's all ahead of, of the production uh, auditions and, and cast? Yeah, auditions are actually happening right now as we speak, uh, going throughout um, November, December. And then the associate directors coming out, I think, late late January to look at uh, some of the people they choose. So, yes, all that process is going through at the moment. Nothing is pre-cast. Everybody, everybody is up there. I think they're hoping to find a couple of brand new, fabulous uh, young performers to play Glinda and Elphaba. So, no, I'm looking forward to finding out who that is sometime early next year. Great, great. Can't wait. Um, how do you access your tickets in London? Do you go down to the, the half ticks booth? Because that's always a great way to source some uh, some reasonably priced tickets. It is, and I, I often do that. But this time, because I was only there for five days and there were a number of things I specifically wanted to see, I did use a couple of connections to get to buy house seats for some shows. Uh, luckily enough, because I work a lot with Crossroads, they um, gave me tickets to one particular show that we'll talk about in a minute, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Um, and others, I went to, say, uh, the Michael Castle Group and others to say, could I buy house seats for Anne Juliet or uh, to Disney to buy house seats for Beauty and the Beast? Because I wanted to know that I had a good seat. Uh, I can... You know, I was restricted with time. I couldn't go to half tick, say, and uh, say, well, there's no tickets today, but you can come back tomorrow or next day or next day. I didn't have those, that luxury this time. So this time I bought all those. But often I will go to the ticks group. And these days you can go online to ticks uh, digitally and buy tickets as well at, at a cheap discount price. Great, great. Seeing Anne Juliet and Beauty and the Beast, of course, it's a form of professional development for you because there's shows that are going to be on in Australia next year and you need to have your head around them, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not working on either of them. Uh, but both I really enjoyed. I've got such fond memories of the original Beauty and the Beast. Um, fabulous Australian cast. And um, a few years ago, in my role uh, running the Sydney Theatre Awards, I invited 19 of the original Beauty and the Beast cast members to come back for the 25th anniversary to sing uh, Be Our Guest and Beauty and the Beast. And that, that was lovely. It's a beautiful show. Uh, I happened to be in London when the touring production, a new version, was at the London Palladium. And I, going to the London Palladium is always you know, an event. 
And so luckily I got to see the, this new Beauty and the Beast, which includes a lot of uh, new tricks. It's, it's very different, different costumes, different sets, all sorts of things. A lot of digital screens used, great transformations again, uh, when uh, the, the Beast turns back into, um, um, you know, the Prince and, and so on. Um, yeah, it, it was just delightful. Uh, there, are, there were things I miss about the original production because I've got such fond memories, but this new one will just delight a whole new generation. So I love that. And also Anne Juliet. Um, I, all I knew about Anne Juliet was that it used pop songs of the 90s, all written by uh, a guy called, I think, uh, Max Martin. And it supposes that what happens if Juliet didn't die at the end of Romeo and Juliet, that she lived? What would happen then? And that's all I knew. It was a really good conceit set up. Shakespeare comes out at the beginning and then Anne Hathaway, his wife, comes out. Uh, she's visiting from Stratford-on-Avon where he's in London. And she says, well, I don't like this story. Why does the girl have to die? And then she starts supposing what might happen and then Shakespeare says well okay well, what might happen and between the two of them they they just roll along saying what might happen and then it's all happening around you um the songs are fantastic and really progress the story often in jukebox musicals they sort of stop the story they sing a song that doesn't really relate to progressing the story and then it continues but here all the songs really work they were so catchy um it's got that same young youthful energy that attracts young girls like six does and i think it's going to be a huge hit when it opens in melbourne in i think march um they've announced our australian juliet any day now i think they're announcing uh the uh, the rest of the cast. So I'm really keen on seeing who's in it. Uh, and I can't wait to see that. It opens at the Regent Theatre in Melbourne. A, a show you saw uh, a couple of times, I think, in London was Back to the Future. I saw it once and I'm desperate to see it again. I didn't That's have right. Time. It I, have gone. I, I, I know I, others who have been a second time. Yes, I knew you alluded to a second time. So it's it's that much fun, is it? I was really surprised how much I enjoyed it. Um, it, of course, it's got the song from the movie uh, Back to the Future, and it's basically the the whole film, the first film of Back to the Future on stage. Uh, but there's been a whole new score written that really works, and lots of different varieties of music. Uh, it was cast really well. But what I loved about it were the effects. It is just so clever. It is, again, of course, digital screens. And so when the DeLorean comes on stage and it starts going, you know, through time, uh, you know, faster than light years, the, the screens behind are going like crazy and the DeLorean's there with smoke and all sorts of stuff like that. And that, that was really fun. And it, 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 it's a bit tongue-in-cheek. It knows how you know, how silly it all is. But however, right at the end of the show, there is one effect that just blew my mind and I have no idea how they did that when the DeLorean comes out over the audience at the end of the show. And, you know, it, it's been in reviews and people are talking about it, so it, I'm not really giving a spoiler. If, if you don't want to hear about what happens at the end, just close your ears for 30 seconds. But the DeLorean comes out directly 
over the audience, quite a long distance over the audience, and then it flips 360 degrees around with the two lead actors sitting in there. And we knew something was going to happen because they got strapped in uh, pretty severely. And then the DeLorean turns around 90 degrees. So it's again, it's now facing the stage instead of facing the auditorium and then goes back on onto the stage. It just blew my mind how they how they did this. I don't know, but it was there weren't any uh, strings. We couldn't see a, a huge bar there. Anyway, it's it's amazing, and I, I want to go back just to have another look and see try and work out how they can do it. Well, there's been that tradition of getting actors to fly right back to to Peter Pan, I suppose, yeah. when the when when the children take off, and and Peter, of course, and then uh, shows like Witches of Eastwick, and and uh, yeah. Mary Mary Poppins makes an exit Mary out Poppins. over over the audience, and and then and, and then, then we moved to, to Wicked. In, Wicked, wicked! The monkeys come out over over the audience in uh, Broadway, and um, they did in the original Melbourne uh, season at the, the Regent. And they've apparently worked out how they're going to get the monkeys to fly in the Lyric Theatre in Sydney. So there could be monkeys over the audience in in Sydney. So that, yeah, as you said, that happens exactly. quite a bit. And and of course, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I, I think the car made some sort of elevation uh, over the audience, and yeah. and the and the magic carpet in Aladdin. So it's no wonder that they've perfected the DeLorean <laughs> and yeah. spinning around. Yeah. yeah. Um, another show I saw that I, I mentioned a moment ago is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, mm. which is a play with music. It is derivative of a number of other shows, like. Uh, Harry Potter, for instance, because they wave a cape and the set behind moves. Lighting is amazing. A lot of the cast play musical instruments like Once and other things like that and then uh, break into song and, and so on. But it, it was a really magical way of, of um, telling the story. It was about two and a half hours long and there were lots of kids in the audience at the seven o'clock show I went to. And I thought, oh, are these kids going to be okay for two and a half hours but everybody was drawn into the story so much and it was it was very magical it's a show i could see happening here uh, at some stage because i think we've we have had one version of the lion the witch and the wardrobe in australia but uh never a full production and c.s lewis is a very popular uh, author so you know that could come here one of these days the life of pi the life of pi yes i want mention that too that was probably uh the best play i saw while i was there and uh it, we've since heard that it's going to broadway um i love the, the movie i had never read the book it is very faithful to the book and the movie but again this is quite magical because it's it's about uh, a tiger on a raft a small boat with uh an indian boy and it's a small cast. There were perhaps, uh, I think, uh, 12 to 15 people in the cast, but a lot of them were puppeteers. And the tiger and a lot of other animals in the cast are like... Um, Warhorse and Lion like King. Warhorse, exactly. Mm. Exactly mm. like Warhorse. So instead of three people uh, inside and manipulating a horse, this time they're manipulating a huge tiger. Um, they use the set really well. The boat comes up out of the floor of the stage and is on a rotation, so it moves around. And so it's moving up and down, so we feel the, the movement of the water. Uh, other set pieces come up and around and so on. It's very simply told. Um, 
but really beautiful. It's such a heartwarming story. I just loved it. I I know it's doing huge business in, in London. I'm sure it will on Broadway. And I'd love to see it come here, uh, if not uh, in a commercial production for a state theatre company or a, um, a festival environment. Yeah, I saw snippets on the Olivier Awards and it looked uh, breathtaking, the, uh, the magic of puppets. One show I did want to mention, because there's an interesting story there, is Dear Evan Hansen, which, of course, um, is just finished on in the UK. Um, we it's, it's got a cast of eight. And when we went, I looked at the program and there, are, there, there were 20-something people listed in the program because of the number of COVID covers they need to have for productions these days. So we saw the alternate Evan Hansen, two other of the normal cast, and five understudies or swings. Because of COVID, uh, every production pretty well has to, not only in the UK, but Australia as well, has to employ COVID covers these days because if one of the actors gets sick and you don't have an understudy, the show's finished. Uh, so, you know, it was it's really interesting to, have, to look at the cost of putting on a production these days because you have so many extra wages to pay because of current circumstances. But, yeah, an interesting fact, I thought. Dear Evan Hansen is a show that's been mooted several times, I think, for Australia. Have, have you heard that it might be in the wind at any time? I haven't. Uh, I can remember going to see Hugh Jackman in concert several years ago and he sang a song from Dear Evan Hansen and said it's coming to Australia next year. Well, next year COVID happened and so nothing happened. I haven't heard anything since. I'd like to see it come here. But um, now it's finished on, on in Broadway, finished in the UK and so on. I'm not exactly sure whether the the swell is still there to bring it out here. And, of course, everyone's talking about Jamie who was supposed to come here. That's a, a big hit in, in London, all over the UK. That um, and the, the Secret Garden that I was going to be working on, uh, Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish was supposed to be coming in a production with Opera Australia, and that sort of disappeared. We did lose a hell of a lot of things because of COVID. Well, what's coming up in London? Um, there's always a, a new batch of, of shows for us to see. We happen to be um, in the mother country. Uh, what do you know of? Well, I know there's a play called Good uh, that stars David Tennant uh, of Doctor Who fame. Um, this is about a German professor who, who progresses through the ranks of the SS. It's a, it's a World War II play. Moira Buffini's comedy, Handbagged, is coming back, and that's based on the weekly meetings between Queen Elizabeth II and Margaret Thatcher between, I think, 1979 and 1990. That's got a limited engagement um, moment. Uh, Elf the Musical is back for Christmas. It seems like that comes back every year based on the film that stars Will Ferrell. Uh, there's a new Christmas treat in London this year, Dolly Parton's Smoky Mountain Christmas Carol, which is Charles Dickens' classic tale with a Tennessee twist. That's at the South Bank Centre. Um, Dolly wrote the lyrics, of course, with music and the lyrics to that one. Uh, there's a new version of From Here to Eternity coming to the West End. Uh, and I think the Charing Cross Theatre, uh, that's Tim Rice wrote the, the lyrics to that. And I think it didn't do so well first time around. That's coming back. Uh, there's a musical called My Neighbour Totaro, which is based on the Japanese animated fantasy film. 
identical the musical which um, is based on the novel parent trap that's been made of course into several different films music by george styles lyric by anthony drew who did the the mary poppins new songs directed by Sir Trevor Nunn and of course it's panto season in London so you know panto's galore he's behind of... you yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, London Palladium has Jack and the Beanstalk this year with Dawn French and Julian Clary uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves at the new Wimbledon Theatre Goldilocks you know all Peter Pan all those sort of pantos come back at this time of year every year in London Oh, I do love a good panto. And, of course, um, this year um, in, in Sydney through December, we can see Trevor Ashley's uh, Christmas panto, uh, Moulin Scrooge. Moulin Scrooge. Oh, yes, I can't wait to see it. I love photos of it. But, yes, I can't see if Trevor has Satine uh, coming down in a, uh, you know, from the roof like she does in the, the real show. We'll see whether he can do that. Well, we do know that uh, diamonds are for Trevor, and of course, he's playing um, a, a character called Sat On rather than Satine. Of course, Australia has a whole whole wealth of of uh, musicals that are happening at the moment, and then and going into twenty twenty three. Um, Hairspray, we haven't mentioned, of course. Hamilton continues its reign, as does uh, Moulin Rouge, um, and the Rocky Horror Show is coming back um, at the Theatre Royal. So. And then goes to Melbourne, and I'm sure it'll tour around the whole country. Yes, I think when is too much Rocky Horror not enough? <laughs> Mamma Mia, we'll get to see again. Um, this must be the third production uh, return of Mamma Mia. Yeah, it's, it seems only about three, four, four or five years ago it was here. Uh, yes, I've seen I think three or four different productions over the years. So yeah, it's perennial favourite. Like. Most people like me love the music of ABBA, and so that just draws us back to Mamma Mia every year. A brand new Australian musical, uh, Midnight, The Fairy Tale Begins, A Cinderella Story, uh, written by uh, John Foreman and Anthony Costanzo, uh, we'll also see um, happening in, at the Comedy Theatre in Melbourne in June next year. Yes, they've announced four cast members. They say it's it's a Cinderella tale, so I'm interested to see how close it follows the Cinderella story or whether it is one of those stories that you look at a different character from a different angle or something like that. I can't wait to see it. I don't know anything about it. It'll be terrific. And Madagascar, the musical, that is that uh, has that had a showing overseas anywhere in London or, or New York? It, uh, not in major cities. It's toured around the world. Uh, it's coming for very short seasons in Sydney, Melbourne and Perth from December. Um, it, yeah, it's basically the film on stage. Uh, just for the kids, I'm sure it'll do really well during school holidays. Um, Fipsy, you must be at the theatre every night, either in a work or audience capacity. Do you, do you get many nights at home? Well, after COVID, I've, you know, slowed down quite a bit, but I... You know, that's my idea of heaven, going to see a number of shows each week. So I do see a lot of shows um, and I love it. So it's my life. I really enjoy it. Well, thanks for the roundup. It's, as always, there's plenty to whet the appetite uh, of the discerning theatre goer or those who are wanting a fabulous night's uh, entertainment, either if you're travelling overseas or, of course, around Australia. Um, have a super Christmas to you and, you and yours. And um, do you get to have a break at, at, at any chance? Not really. I've got a few shows coming up over Christmas with uh, Velvet Rewide playing at Sydney Opera House, the, the Mouse Trap opening in Adelaide on the 31st of December, 
the concerts of To Barbara With Love, celebrating the 80th uh, birthday of Barbara Streisand in Sydney and elsewhere, and uh, a few other things. So, yes, not too, not too much of a break. I had my break in London and Europe. Yeah, and of course, no rest for the wicked. <laughs> exactly, and I'm very, very wicked, Peter. <laughs> I was getting a plug-in for the show. Oh, I know, I know. Very good. <laughs> Thank right. you. Thanks, Fipsy. Have a great Christmas. You too. Bye now. Lots to see wherever you may be seeking your theatre fix, locally and abroad. My thanks to Simon Paris and Ian Phipps for sharing their experiences and what's ahead for Australian audiences in 2023. Simon's review blog, Man in Chair, can be accessed at simonparrismaninchair.com. This episode of Stages is dedicated to The Showman Program and John West for inspiring, informing and igniting the imagination of theatre fans around the country from 1964 to 1990, while also being a terrific roundup of present production around the globe and what we can expect on Australian stages in 2023. Thanks for joining us in this episode. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time on Stages.